Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. In the captain's chair this time, uh, this is episode 56. We've got another Heroes for you, and we've got a great one. And before I spoil it, let me give you a quotation from him. I'm 30 years older than you are, had my back broke once, and my hip twice. And on my worst day, I could beat the hell out of you. Yep, that's the Duke. That's John Wayne. That's from the amazing movie uh, later in his career, The Cowboys, uh, the movie that turned Bruce Dern, who he was speaking to there, into the most hated man in America at the time, <laughs> because it's one of those movies. I'm not. I'm, hey, if you haven't seen his movies, I'm going to spoil a few. Yeah, there are a few that he dies in. That was one of them. Very few. But boy, yeah, was a, what an amazing story. It's still one of the best coming-of-age stories ever done. And the reason we like to talk about John Wayne is he was formative for us in the early years, dies in 1979 of cancer after an enormous career. We, we really love those people who work their craft well, and he certainly did that. Uh, he was an, he, everybody watched any, all of his movies. He just showed up, and they went. And there's something to that. And the characters he played and the optimism he brought and the heroism he brought, even though he himself was a flawed individual, that's worth exploring. And one of the sad things about John Wayne is, for those of us you know, our age, mid-50s and, and older, he's a whole lot of stuff. But you get much younger than 40, and he's just a name. Most, people have probably never, most of those people haven't even seen most of his movies. And that is a tragedy, because he made some great ones. And we're going to talk about those uh, today. Guys, what are your thoughts? Would you like to do a little bio real quick? Just, we always try to throw out a little tiny bit of bio, not too in-depth. Well, uh, just to kind of give you what we're talking about here on his, uh, on his background here, he's, uh, he was, he's old Hollywood. He, was, he comes up in the 20s. Uh, he, he, changes his, he changes his name. Uh, he's born uh, Marion Michael Morrison, which kind of doesn't sing on the screen. So he ends up changing it to John Wayne. Uh, he's associated with John Ford early on, the director, yes. uh, who started his career in the 20s. Uh, Wayne was somebody that fell kinda, kind of fell into what he was doing. His first movie is in 1926, mind you. And he works through the, the studio system uh, in the B-Westerns that are being made all over the place. They're cheap, they're easy. He even plays a singing cowboy at the one time, singing Sandy, believe it or not. You can still see some of those. They're not bad. And he eventually, because of his square jaw and his voice, that, that deep baritone that he's got, he's noticed. And Howard Hawks puts him in a movie called Stagecoach. Uh, well, he does, let me back up. In 1930, he does a movie that's known as The Big Trail. It's his first uh, starring role, and it, puts, and it gets him noticed. And eventually, in 1939, which was a big year for movies, by the way, because Stagecoach comes out, Gone with the Wind comes out, Wizard of Oz comes out, all those years. Uh, I think The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn come out that year. Don't quote me on that one. I'm close. It's close to that, though. Uh, and it made him a star, a cowboy star. And 
he for the until 1977, you know, uh, he makes 142 movies. 142 movies, <laughs> and almost every single one of them is a hit. Now it takes a little while for him to get known uh, that he can, he's a bankable star, but he's doing amazing movies during the war. He stays making movies during the war, but he's making making war movies. He is one of the early stars who is known for being somebody that we need you here because you're bringing more boys into uh, into the army and the armed forces just by being who you are. Uh, there's, there's some really great uh, war movies he does, westerns. Uh, he's got a, a career that's amazing. We're going to talk about some of his, you know, our favorite movies of his, and we all have them. Uh, he, he wins an Oscar in 1969 for True Grit, the only one he ever won, uh, well-deserved. Uh, he's, been, he's been accused of playing himself a lot. Uh, that may be true, but I don't see that as being a sin, because if everybody likes to see you play yourself and pays money to see you play yourself, what's wrong with that? Yeah. yeah, yeah he was, has made a career out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, he was never a method actor. He he took whatever part he had and he made it a John Wayne part. That's exactly right. And because he he could he could do what he wants eventually. I mean, he turned down some really big movies too. I mean, he was mm-hmm. he was supposed to be Lee Marvin's role in The Dirty Dozen, but he turned it down. He went and made the movie that he wanted to make, The Green Berets, a pro-Vietnam movie in 1967. That was a huge risk. The movie made money. But it was definitely uh, it, 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 it. He's put a stake in the ground, saying where he was politically at a time where that's not something that most people were doing. Because Wayne was somebody that believed what he believed. Uh, he was also very. He was very much known to be kind to other actors. Uh, he believed the craft was something that crossed lots of divides, and he he saw it as something that really brought people together. He was definitely um, somebody who, had, who picked the right vocation in life. Uh, he was very good with that. Thoughts? Well, well yeah, you I mean, good Lord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the thing about John Wayne that, um, you know, when I think of him, one of the things I think of is being a kid in the 70s and, you know, always being excited when I saw one of the handful of movies that was constantly making the, uh, the Saturday Night Movie reruns, uh, you know, like True Grit or uh, McClintock, uh, you know, there were just, by no means were all of his movies making those rounds, but, the, you know, there were a handful of those westerns, mostly the latter ones, uh, that would constantly be rerun on, on television. I used to love seeing those. And, you know, it was like uh, being excited when the Planet of the Apes movies made their rounds, you know, and certain other uh, kinds of things like that. Uh, so that's one of the, really, the first memories I have of really being a John Wayne fan is, is some of those latter uh, movies that were just seen on television. Yeah, once he started mm-hmm. doing color, that's what you would see because they're not going to show the old black and whites except exactly. locally. Now, you could see those on Saturday afternoons and things like that. Of course, they eventually resurface on Turner Classic Movies and other cable channels in the 80s after Wayne is dead. Uh, and, they, and they gained a little bit of a, of a life there. But Wayne was a powerful force in Hollywood. I mean, he could, but just by signing on to something, he could make the movie happen. And he did that more than a few times. Pardon me. Uh, he's somebody that... Uh, 
was just he he did uh, he was known as a patriot. That's one of those things that I find so admirable about him. Uh, he was he was given the Congressional Gold Medal. Uh, they actually created one for him. John Wayne American, uh, his co-star and good friend Maureen O'Hara, uh, along with Elizabeth Taylor, believe it or not, Frank Sinatra, Catherine uh, Hepburn, and many others, uh, lobbied, testified to Congress in support of the award. Kirk Douglas, people that knew him. Uh, that's unheard of, because these are people from all over the political spectrum, to come together and say, this guy here had something that we think is deserving of something special, after the fact. Um, it was amazing to be, because that's something we don't do today. We would never do that today. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. And that's, and that's one of the reasons that we really, we really like him. He was given the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously by Jimmy Carter in 1980. Uh, he You're was, Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, he is just somebody, I think, that it pains me to think that we are not watching his movies anymore. And a younger generation doesn't see him anymore. And I'm trying you to figure out why that is. Well, part of it, I think, is you know we forget because he, he was a big star up until the end. Now, granted, he didn't make movies at the rate he did in the last 15 years of his life as he did the first 30 uh, of, his, of his movie life. Because you know, he was active from 1930 until 1976. That's 46 years making movies. And so we have to remember that the bulk of that time, his movies are black and white. Right. And that right there has a lot to do with it. You know, we've talked about it before. You know, my son is not a black and white movie kind of guy. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's learned to love them. Uh, some of the ones that I've, I've uh, had him watch, you know, he, but for the most part, nobody really is going to seek those out. That's why they're all on Turner Classic Movies. You know, right. So I think TPM has almost all of the black and white. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 a specialized uh, group of viewers, and you know, unfortunately. Uh, it's the kind of thing that um, will not. You know, I, I fear that those movies, after our generation is gone, will almost never be seen again. Uh, unless I fear you're, a you're film right. Yeah, unless you're a film buff. And this is a shame because you have to understand that his cultural mystique as an American icon spread beyond our shores. When Emperor Hirohito came to the United States in '75, he wanted to meet John Wayne because he saw him as the symbolic representation of his country's former enemy. When Nikita Khrushchev comes in 59, he wanted to go to Disneyland and meet John Wayne. <laughs> I mean, think about that. This yeah. is unheard of. He's more American than Disneyland and John Wayne. That's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, and that, that's an amazing thing here. Uh, the, the movie Sands of Iwo Jima, which is one of the, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if you haven't seen these movies, but shame on you if you haven't. I'll spoil it anyway. It's one of the movies that he dies in. Again, there's, like I say, there's only a handful. Uh, but he does so heroically on Iwo Jima. It was made shortly after what happens happened because they recreate the, the flag raising there. And that movie was a touchstone for American people who, of course, heard the story but didn't quite understand it until Wayne portrays this on the island at the time. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a, a moving moment. He gets a bad rap for playing that same character over and over. And there's a lot to that because he had a distinctive uh, way of speaking. And, you know, he wasn't one of those guys like Charlton Heston that, that 
you know, use voice coaches to try and affect different accents. Although, to be honest, I don't know that Chuck was ever all that successful with it. I never really heard a whole lot of different accents coming out of him. <laughs> he still sounds like Chuck. Not that he still sounds not like a bad Chuck thing. thing. Yeah. Um, but he tried. God love him. He tried. Uh, but, you know, that was his dedication to his craft. But when you look at certain movies, you realize what a great actor uh, he was. He could really act. You know, to me, one of the best scenes I've ever seen John Wayne do was the scene in The Longest Day when he comes upon um, um, uh, the city of, uh, was the town of uh, Claremont? Claremont. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh, yeah. And the, uh, the, the paratroopers are gunned down as they're coming down and they get caught up in the trees and they're just hanging there as the American uh, infantry arrives. And the emotion that he, he displays, when he, when it, it, it hurts him to see those American men hanging from those branches uh, dead. Uh, to me, it was just—it was a fantastic scene. He was really good in that. Uh, so you know, he can act. You know, he wasn't just a one-note guy. Absolutely, and especially as he got older, I think he seasoned well. Uh, some of his—and this is part of uh, the time we were born and the time we grew up. Uh, those later movies of his have their own unique charm. Uh, I still think his final movie, The Shootist, is one of his very, very best. Uh, it's, it's done very, very differently. It is the swan song of the aging gunfighter who goes out in a blaze of glory while he's dying of cancer. Well, that's prophetic because Wayne himself was dying of cancer at that time and would die the very next year. Uh, no, no. Not, uh, yeah, Three but, years later. Three years later. Okay. All right. 76, I think, is the last movie. That's right. Yes, the, the shootest is made in 76, and he dies in 79. So, right. But, yeah, it is his final film. He was too ill to do any more, and he never did little bit parts or anything at the end of his career. He was always the star. Right, exactly. So. He, never went, he was actually <laughs> offered to play the Waco Kid by Mel Brooks, Gene Wilder's role, in Blazing Saddles. Uh, <laughs> he, he said he thought, he thought it was too... Uh, the reason he turned it down is because he read the script and said the dialogue was too dirty for uh, for his family image. But he said he'd be the first person in line to see the movie. So well, and I don't think that movie would have worked with John Wayne. No, it wouldn't. You couldn't. You, it, it was. Uh, it just would. He that would have changed his image, and he was very conscious of that. Well, it would have before. changed the movie. I don't. I don't think the movie itself would have worked. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, exactly. It He's been not very, believable in that part. Yeah. You know, one of the things about John Wayne, we, we kind of have danced around this. Um, to put it in, in modern terms, John Wayne is the first that every man in this country had a man crush on. You know, I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, that's the way you got to put it. Because there wasn't a guy around that didn't either want to be him or hang out with him. Well, you're exactly right on that. That's correct. He was, he was the hero for, for, for actually multiple generations because of yes. his long career. Those who were children during the war, he was their hero, and their children, which is us, were also looked to him as their hero. Uh, and that's an amazing thing. There isn't anybody like that anymore. There's no movie actor that you can look up to and say, that's who I want to be. An icon. Uh, there might yeah. be some exceptions to that, I suppose, but uh, I can't see anybody saying that about, that about Tom Cruise or whoever else. They might want their money. They might want to be an actor, but to be the person, be this image? Well, that's the thing. Model your, yeah, movie yeah. stars are going to do movies, though, that are a lot more varied in type 
and uh, depth than what John Wayne did. And it's not to say that, that you know, Wayne, uh, John Wayne definitely was a one-note act because he, he wasn't. He just did a lot of similar roles because he, he, he had a particular image that, that you know, certain roles are going to be offered to him. You know, nowadays, you know, actors are going to want to play not just the hero, but the anti-hero. Sure. There was no such thing as an anti-hero. We called them the villain. Right. When John Wayne was making movies. Yeah. You're exactly right. Although, I will give you this. You know, he actually lay, uh, lobbied hard to play Dirty Harry in 71, which is that's yeah. definitely an anti-hero role. But he was 63 at the time, and it was felt that it was too old, uh, which there's probably something that. to that. Although, I think Wayne could have pulled it off. It would have been a very different movie. Very different movie. Because he does Brannigan and McHugh, those two cop shows around that time, which were, hey, they made money because John Wayne was in them, but they weren't all that great. Uh, if you had a great script like, uh, like Dirty Harry, however, eh, who knows? Maybe. You know, maybe. it's hard to... to maybe the, you know, those movies didn't do as well because it's hard to see him either not wearing a uniform, a military uniform, or set in the 1800s as a cowboy. That's correct. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. he, he did a few others, not many. Well, I'll, give you, I'll give you a great example of, of the only stinker in his, in his words that he ever Genghis did. Genghis Khan? Genghis Khan, that's right, the conqueror. <laughs> Uh, he the played Genghis Khan, and it's considered to be uh, something of a uh, Hollywood scandal. And it proved that Wayne couldn't do just anything he wanted. He couldn't do anything. Uh, he had to do what he was good at, but he played that one. Another one uh, that he did, Legend of the Lost, with Sophia Loren, which was a bit of a stinker. If you've ever watched it, yeah, it's, it's pretty stinky. Uh, the, you know, there are a few of those, those duds out there. Not many. Most of his movies yeah. were always very successful. Um, but he, he would but play There, there were some, some non-Western movies that he did. He did pretty well with... Um, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of it. You'll remember it, uh, Francis. Uh, he plays a firefighter. Uh, oil oh, well. yes. Uh, Hellfighters. 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 Yes. Yeah, that, that was a uh, movie. That was Color, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a '60s film. I think. Uh, I think that even has one of his sons in it. It's uh, uh, so late. Yeah, it, and it, then it, it, uh, older. Yeah. Uh, oh, what is the other one? Uh, Hatari. Hatari. That's the one that has a, Lee Marvin in it. If I'm not mistaken, I may be wrong. No, I'm sorry. I can't that is remember not, for sure. No. But that's that's like a. It's set in Africa. He, he collects that's animals. Correct. That is correct. Hatari. That was a very different one. No, that that's uh, Howard Hawks did that movie. Uh, it's uh, the one that I'm. Th it was. It, it was in East Africa and all that. Like you say, it's a very. <coughs> the, the TV series Doctari was based on that after the fact because it was a moderately mm -hmm. successful thing, but it's basically uh, Jungle Jim meets John Wayne, <laughs> uh, which yeah. was Jungle Jim was the successor to the Tarzan movies. Johnny Weissmuller yeah. does you know does all these in the 30s and 40s does these uh, Tarzan movies, and he gets too old to play him, so they bring in a new Tarzan. But they retire him and make Jungle Jim movies, you know, where he doesn't have to wear the loincloth and he can actually go around and do some stuff. These were moderately successful in the 50s. Okay. So this is kind of like, let's do some of that. Um, uh, he's got, you know, there's, there's some weird... Donovan's Wreath, I'm sorry, is the one with Lee Marvin in it. It's actually a bit of a comedy. Oh, not a, yes. Yeah, not yeah. a bad movie in the, in the, in the 60s. Uh, some of these are hit and miss, but I'd love for us to talk about some of his great roles because I think if he's going to be a hero of ours, when he does the craft well, 
And I'm just going to throw out some of these to you here because you know most yeah. of these. Uh, the really, really good ones. I'm going to throw out the first one. The movie that Steven Spielberg said is the greatest movie ever made. Greatest movie ever made. Steven Spielberg says this. John Wayne, The Searchers. The Searchers. Probably yeah. his most complex role because he has to move from someone consumed by hate and revenge to someone who, who can forgive. That's right. Well, very, to, to offer mercy. Role. Yeah, very yes. much so. Yeah, because he, he, he doesn't really forgive. It's more nuanced than that. But he's yeah. willing to not kill uh, to do that. And that's one of the – of course, it's, 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 it's hugely – Jeffrey Hunter is in this. Uh, the two of them together make a really great pair. And it's, it's the, the loneliness. Now, it's a John Ford movie, so you know it's going to be directed well. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's one that uh, really, it's 1956. It's an amazingly nuanced, uh, almost uh, the pathos, there's your word, Martin, is, is yep. all over the place with this one here. And that's one of the reasons I think uh, th there's a sadness in that movie. Uh, it's not fatalistic because it does have a happy ending. Now, I'll give you my favorite of his movies, which is a fatalistic movie and, uh, of his, uh, with some really great... Uh, uh, some, with some really uh, great co-stars in that. And that's Ford Apache in 1948, uh, black and white, with Henry Fonda. If you, if you held me down and made me tell you what is your favorite John Wayne movie of all and made me pick only one, it would probably have to be Ford Apache. I've seen it hundreds of times. It, <laughs> never, fail, it never fails to entertain uh, it's too long by modern standards. It's very lot, not a lot of action goes on in certain places. Of course, that's how they made those movies in '48. But especially when you get to to the climax, all this pays off with the martinet of Colonel Thursday, played by uh, Henry Fonda, basically gets his command slaughtered, and, all, and the only person that knows this is wrong is his second in command that says you shouldn't, you can't do this. You know, he even throws down his gauntlet against him to try to get him to stop, and he won't. You know, and, of course, he's, he's one of the few survivors. And in the end, everything has changed, and he's learned from the martinet and is similar to him, but he never loses that which, you know, he, he doesn't pick up the fatal flaws. And it's just a complex story on that. And it, it, I, I love it. It's, it's one of those that I just I cannot watch enough. It's part of the uh, John Ford's uh, Cavalry trilogy. It's the first one of those. The other two were uh, uh, Rio Grande and, and uh, She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, which was actually in color. Uh, that one usually gets the most uh, accolades because he plays a different character in that one. But these are, these are John Wayne. These are amazing moments. And if you want to see him you know, push back against that criticism that he could only play one character or one role, watch some of these. They, they really do a fantastic job with that. Some movies we know very well. He, the Alamo, he directed it. He plays Davy Crockett, for goodness sakes. Um, that, it actually, he got a Best Act, a best Director nomination from that. And you know, I think we deserve to toast the man, for goodness sakes. Yeah, let's take a pause. Uh, what are we drinking, and, boys? Uh, I got a tiny bit of my larceny here. So uh, I decided that in honor of um, recording this about John Wayne and, and uh, we're going to do a bit about the Westerns, I decided to go with something that would be a distinctly, something distinctly at home 
in a Western, and that is The Devil's Cut. <laughs> there you go. A little bit harsh, uh, than, harsher than we normally go for. Um, and, uh, you know, probably it would make a, you know, when you're not in the mood for something really harsh, it would make a better mixing bourbon. Um, but, you know, nothing wrong with something a little bit harsh uh, straight up either. So. Well, well, I've actually pulled out a few stops on this one, and I've opened up a new bottle, boys. Uh, I've opened up a bottle of Knob Creek this time. We've not go. used that before. It is, uh, uh, I believe, it's called a Super Premium, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's one of the, it's one of the very best. We've not featured it on here before, and I thought John Wayne deserves something cool. So I've decided to have a little bit of that. Neat, uh, you know. Over time, I have discovered yes, there's a snobbery to that, which I always pushed back on before. But I'm kind of on that side now. Yeah, let the bourbon be the bourbon, boys. Just drink that. You know, you, it doesn't have to be chilled. Just take it as it is. Take a little bit. I prefer mine chilled. Um, ideally, I I, I, I'm getting over. Ideally, it. I would have the uh, the uh, metal steel cubes, uh, or uh, using uh, my former pastor. Uh, whenever we would have bourbon over there in the cigar lounge, uh, he had a, a, a two inch diameter steel ball, which is great because it uh, would roll around very nicely in the um, in the cup. You buy Yeah. Get you a good clink, uh, but it wouldn't melt uh, right. to dilute the bourbon. Although some bourbon, it's such a high uh, uh, alcohol content, you really should use ice to uh, to, to let it uh, uh, dilute just a little bit. Some say the ice and letting it melt brings out the uh, the best flavor in the bourbon. Uh, so you know uh, it depends on on your preference there. But I tend to, to not like bourbons where I have to mix it to make it palatable, anyways. Uh, yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore. We have grown, gentlemen. We have we have come into our own. Uh, we've learned as we should. That's kind of the journey, isn't it? To always find our way to getting better. And well, to be better. fair, if you're, if you're not a whiskey drinker of any kind or any hard alcohol drinker of any kind, it's hard to just go straight into a, a good a good bourbon or a good whiskey. I imagine a good scotch as well uh, without uh, getting acclimated to it in some way. So I always tell people if you're not going to drink straight up, then you know you got to start with the lower shelf bourbons, and and uh, you know you, it's okay to mix with those. And then you know as you move on to to the better bourbons, you can stop mixing. Amen to that. What did uh, did well, John Wayne drink? Do we know? Uh, actually, I Whatever don't. Whatever he wanted. Well, okay, I'm going to have to go with you on that one. You're right. I do not what know that. that. Whatever he wanted. Whatever he wanted. Yeah. John Wayne. Wayne damn it. Uh, I'm sure I feel confident it was either whiskey or bourbon. I don't know that though. So uh, let's see if perhaps, Google knows the answer. Yeah, please go right ahead. Uh, I'd love to talk some more about something because you guys have not told me your favorites. Oh well, let me uh, let me tell a story real quick first, and then I'll uh, I'll talk about some of my favorite John Wayne movies. Um, this is a story that Ronald Reagan told in the 1970s, right after. Wayne's death um, on his radio addresses. Um, so this was after being governor of California, but um, before his presidency. You know, he did those radio addresses in the 70s. And uh, even before he was governor, you know, he, Reagan was president of the Screen Actors Guild, and it was a very rough time. He had a hard time with it. And um, he said that he would... He was headed to some meetings that were going to be very contentious, and uh, uh, Nancy 
was going to stay home, but uh, she got a phone call. And at this time, they did not know Wayne all that well, but it was the Duke on the phone offering to take Nancy to the meetings and sit with her um, just so she'd have some company and somebody reassuring to be with her. Right, because who's um, going to mess with John Wayne? Yeah. And the, the, That's right. You know, the, nobody asked him to do that. Uh, he just did. He just he reached out to somebody he was just kind of an acquaintance of, um, but felt like, you know, we could they could go to these meetings and it be civilized and go to these, you know, and go to things and not drag people's families through the mud and stuff like that. That's, you know, that's who he was. If you've got a problem with me, you bring it to me, you know, you don't go after families and things like that. He, he, uh, he had, he had that code. That was part of his code. You know, um, I'm not going to, Give you a hard time, you don't give me a hard time. So it's actually a quote from one of his movies about that. Uh, yeah, uh, he says, so much of him became the role, and so much of the roles was drawn from him. <laughs> uh, and that's yeah. that's just a fascinating thing. You just don't you just don't get that anymore. Yeah. There's no well, there's nobody that can pull that off. Well, yeah. no, I think I think for some actors though, I think that that becomes true. I think if you look at a Tom Cruise movie. If you look at a um, uh, George Clooney movie, uh, I think you'll see something similar happening there. Um, now, I wouldn't necessarily say that the, the you know that what comes out there is is as great as what comes out with John Wayne, but then I would rather hang out with John Wayne or be like him than either one of those two. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree completely. So, yes, he's somebody that you definitely love to sit and have a beer with or bourbon. So, speaking of of the alcohol, I did look it up. And, of course, Google knew, because uh, Google knows everything. That's right. And um, he, uh, he had two favorites. Uh, he liked tequila, which, oh, given yeah. his preference for, uh, for wives, that's not too surprising. Yeah, all his wives um, were Hispanic, if I recall correctly. Yes. Um, but also, he preferred bourbon over generic whiskey. I knew there was a reason we liked him. So, yeah. you know, right, right there, that's it. That's my favorite fact about John Wayne. He was a bourbon man. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did drink quite a bit, though. Yeah. Uh, well, and he smoked quite a bit. You know, he was a six-pack-a-day smoker. Now, uh, I, I have a hard time just imagining that because you know, my mom and dad, my brother, my sister—they were all smokers. I'm the only one that was not. Um, you know, my mom and my dad—they were both about a three-pack a day. I can't imagine being able to smoke twice what they did. Yet he did. Yeah. And he 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 got the habit back when that's what you did. You know, everybody smoked right. back in you know, 30s and 40s. You know, that's uh, especially once he got could afford it. Uh, it, it and he just you know it, eventually it killed it because he did die of lung cancer. Uh, well, he had lung cancer. He had stomach cancer. Right. Uh, cancer there are yeah. some who say that he got the uh, cancer. He he credits the lung cancer from the six pack a day habit. Um, but you know he he did he filmed a movie. On uh, or in Nevada, near where they were doing nuclear testing, uh, there were like a half dozen people involved in the production of that movie that later got cancer. And yeah, they believe that, it. that's that's the conqueror. That's the Genghis Khan conqueror. part. Yes, that's yeah, the one. Genghis Khan filmed in Utah, and I think the Wikipedia, yeah, Utah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Wikipedia article says something about uh, 91 people involved in the production eventually had cancer, including 
Right, the half dozen I was thinking of were the more famous people. <laughs> yeah, the big stars. So, yeah, but yeah, he never he never felt it was that. He he felt it was the smoking. Yeah. Now the stomach cancer maybe, but you know, once you if you're smoking six packs a day, you know, you're not doing the stomach cancer any any favors either. Yeah. So. No, my favorite. Um, I'd say. I don't know if I have one particular favorite, but I have a few that, that I just love. Is you, you can't reduce the man down to one, really. I mean, <laughs> there's, you know, there's several. I mean, I absolutely love uh, True Grit and uh, McClintock. Uh, love those. You know, those are a little bit later. Uh, love him in, in The Longest Day. Uh, I just, just am just so enamored of his portrayal of that lieutenant colonel. Yeah. Yeah, and it was an ensemble cast, too, so he didn't have – it's not like yes. he had a lead – I mean, he sort of did because he's probably the one, probably one of the biggest names in that movie. But uh, there's a lot of names in that movie, and it was uh, yes, they're big now. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that movie had had a lot of people who became extremely famous. But um, he, he wasn't the lead. You know, you can't really do one person as the lead in a movie like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, just about anything he did, I would want to watch. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. That was one of his charms, is because all you needed here is it's a John Wayne movie, and it's yeah. so Martin. Martin, what's yours? Oh, yeah, I was. Uh, you guys probably know my favorite because I've mentioned this many times. El Dorado, yeah, mm-hmm. is one of my favorites because uh, Ed Asner gets shot in the end, and uh, <laughs> um, of course uh, the shootist. You know, we've talked about the shootist already, where he plays J.B. Books, uh, mm-hmm. Ron Howard. And um, oh, uh, Harry Morgan, Struther, uh, not Struther, Struther Martin. Martin. Uh, uh, yes, no, no, he's not in it. Uh, he's in True Grit. Um, and uh, and um, why can I not think of the female lead, guys? Bogart's woman, uh, Lauren McCall. Lauren McCall. Lauren McCall. And, and Ron Howard, the shootist, is really, really good. And again, another one of those great performances, a lot of depth. Jimmy Stewart's even in it briefly. Yes. Richard Boone as and, well. Uh, he's, one of the, he's one of the villains, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Big Jake is a good one. Chisholm. Oh, fantastic movie. Big Jake. Oh, yeah, Chisholm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chisholm, a, a recounting, kind of a, a, you know, fictionalized, but a somewhat of a recounting of the uh, Lincoln County War in New Mexico. Uh, Pat Garrett, Billy the Kid stuff all figures into it. It's pretty good. Um, you know, there's just there's a ton of those uh, '60s westerns that are really good that he's in. The Man Who uh, Shot Liberty Balance, boys, this might yep. be one of his. He considered that one of his greatest roles, and it is. It's a fantastic role for both him and Jimmy Stewart, uh, yeah. who played together several times, and that might be one of his finest. Uh, he has many, many fights because he's playing a little bit against type. He's playing the tough guy, but he's also a tragic figure here uh, in this movie because he's the one that does the deed and has to stay quiet about it so he could, so Jimmy Stewart can get his girl. Uh, it doesn't come across, you know, the way it's supposed to. Uh, which well, is I forgot to mention. Uh, yeah. yeah, I forgot to mention Rooster Cogburn. Love that movie. Oh, oh that's absolutely. a fun movie. He ever did. Fun yes. Movie. Yes. Love it because it is so much fun. Well, so he much and Catherine Hepburn put the two of them together, and you got lightning in a bottle. I mean, it's just an amazing yes. <laughs> uh, the ability. And True Grit, to be honest, annoyed me a little bit because I thought Kim Darby's character was absolutely annoying. 
I'm sorry. I know she, she was. Uh, it, it, she was intended to be. Okay, boy. Yeah. Uh, 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 and believe it or not, Glenn Campbell does a fantastic job. As a, he's a singer yeah. for goodness sakes, but he does a great job in that movie. It's a fine, yeah. fine movie. Uh, but you can say that about almost all of his movies. I mean, we we can talk about some of the stinkers, and we have talked about a few of them. There were others. Uh, usually, when he tried to go against his strengths, uh, when he was playing things that he was very comfortable playing, uh, they were really great. But you know, there there were different ones that he that he would do from time to time uh, that that you know, really, you know, were interesting. I think one of the things that that if you really look at who he was in a movie with over his years. That right there speaks to how well thought of he was as a man, as an actor, because he wasn't, in, like in so many movies that are made today, you can only afford one big star. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is either mid-level actors or relative unknowns, or they're character actors that, you know, they, they're in a lot of stuff, but they don't make the huge bucks. He was in movies with lots of big names. You know, oh, yes. It, they wanted to work together. To me, that says a lot about him, uh, that he could draw that, uh, that kind of talent into his movies and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Well, Maureen O'Hara is probably his greatest co-star. Uh, and she and he, uh, the, in fact, she's the one that lobbied for uh, the medal for him after his death. She was in uh, at least a half a dozen. I, I can't name all of them because she was in so many. Uh, they were fantastic together and knew it. And One of my they, wife's favorite movies is a John Wayne movie. The Quiet Man, perhaps? Yes. I see. Yeah, I thought so. Man. I thought so. That's, the, it, that's another one that was kind of against type. You see, the, the whole premise that John Wayne could only play John Wayne is not right because all you have to do is point to a few, like The Quiet Man, where he's playing something very different. He's still and John honest, Wayne because... I'm kind of fond of that one, I'm kind of fond of that one too because Maureen O'Hara and her her heyday was a babe. Oh, no question. She's Very a beautiful, much. beautiful woman. That's correct. And she was also an amazing actress because you can yeah. see uh, she she played the fiery redhead uh, with amazing Elana, particularly in that movie, because it was kind of like it was almost like Taming of the Shrew in some ways, but it was very it was not near as uh, harsh as it was. It actually was a great love story. It was the intention. Uh, and it, it, it it's based on a short story, but it's a fantastic movie. It really is. Uh, here we go again. We use those words, fantastic movie with John Wayne. You almost can't not do that. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna, I want to, you know, I know you're you're captaining this, so I, if we decide we don't want to touch on this, we can certainly leave uh, listeners to uh, to do their own research, but I feel like we probably should bring up some of his uh, controversial views that came out in that uh, Playboy interview in, from 1971. Because uh, yeah. uh, that's the reason why he is not well thought of anymore. And uh, I had the quote up, and, and you know, I, I don't mind reading, because I, 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 it doesn't take away from how good he was at his craft. Right. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, anybody today would be embarrassed to, to say the things that were said in that. Uh, but just um, just a little bit of it here. Uh, when he was talking about uh, uh, race relations, he was talking about how he he didn't want to. Uh, as he uh, put it here, we can't all all of a sudden get down on our knees and turn everything over to the leadership of the blacks. I believe in white supremacy until blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. I don't believe in giving authority and positions leadership to people uh, to, uh, 
uh, leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. And then he talks about the Indians. I don't, I feel, don't feel we did wrong in taking this great country away from the Indians. Our so-called stealing in this country from them was just a matter of survival. Now, there's one thing that, that to me jumps out in this, and that is that it is a statement of its time. Because I can't tell you how many times I heard my own parents say similar things. Sure, he was of Which, that you know, generation, yes, that... that they hadn't learned what we ourselves have learned about that. In fact, John's son, John Wayne's son, Ethan, defended him saying, you know, that you really shouldn't judge him on that interview because that's not who he was. Uh, it was, but it's very easy to vilify him uh, because of that, because that's so unpalatable to us today, completely. Right. Well, and it was unpalatable 40 years ago in 1971. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, that was a controversial thing uh, that he said even back then. And I'm not. I certainly do not want to excuse it because no, you can't. You know, it's not something you can't excuse. But I can also recognize it for what it is, and that is probably what the vast majority of Americans still thought at that time. It was reflective time. of of a, a racism that was so pernicious in society at that time. Uh, certain people just couldn't get out of it. Well, it is, but I think there's also, you see, movement. And this is where he's not going to get any credit for it. Maybe he shouldn't because it's not enough. I don't know. But I think there is a recognition, though, that um, not all of, uh, uh, of uh, what we would call African Americans today, they called, said blacks back then, um, are the same. And there was a recognition that um, there was progress still to be made on all fronts. Uh, you know, he talks about until they're better educated. Well, that's a sad truth, too, that they weren't, because we had failed them as a country to that point yeah. as far as yeah. educating them. Um, and at least in that, he was recognizing that. Now, whether he was right or wrong that, that, you know, that they were ready or not ready for positions of political leadership is, is another thing. And plus, he was also referring, I think, to the to the, uh, the radical leaders like Black Panthers. Uh, you know, I don't think that he would have thought that about every black person he met. Uh, that's why, you know, I recognize yeah. what he was saying and what I had heard from many family members. Um, you know, never really understood that myself. But again, we grew up in a time where that's that stuff didn't matter to us as kids, at least it didn't to me, and I, you know, didn't for you guys. And I did for a lot. So I understand that we are somewhat unique in that respect. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he said those things, he believed them, but they also were representative of the age. Mm -hmm. So I have a hard time condemning him for what he said because everybody else believed it. But I also recognize that, yeah, that was not... Still, they still hadn't made, we still had not yet made progress to where we are now. Granted, where we are now is still not perfect. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. what's going on in the world. And, and I do not want to turn this into a fawning adulation of the man, uh, because he was human just like everybody else was. Uh, exactly. Perhaps more, perhaps more so than many. Uh, because of his public stance on certain things, it's easy to vilify him at times. But I do think that makes him far more complex. And I think that's far more interesting when you recognize 
there's not really any such thing as the Marble Man. Robert E. Lee was called that once upon a time, and of course that's there's an irony for you, uh, uh, because he is somebody that now is being completely turned around and being removed all over the place because he was, and I'll use the word vile racist, but he didn't see it that way. And that's the problem with American society at different times. I think that, Robert, that's what you're trying to say is our society is polluted in certain ways at certain times. And it's up yeah. to those who are around uh, as they reach their ascendancy to change things. And I do believe that Wayne's generation was a victim in many ways of what they were taught and what they believed. And they couldn't get out of that. It took extraordinary men and, and women uh, like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King and even Malcolm X and many others to try and educate them. Some of them, some, like Charlton Heston, got it and went with it. And got it early. And got it early and changed it and, and changed their understanding. Others like Wayne couldn't for whatever reason. And, well, uh, and that's eight years before he died. Who knows what because uh, honestly, I don't know. That's just one snapshot and, like, and one thing. If someone yeah. said it was taken out of context, that's usually an excuse. Uh, well, there, there's also probably some, there could be some truth in that. We don't know what yeah. the, because it's a printed article. You don't know what was said leading to that, because to that, I don't have yeah. the article in front of me. Um, so, yeah, it's possible. But even if it's possible it was taken out of context, he still said it. Yeah, that's great. And, yeah. and he, he's known for treating everyone he came in contact with personally well. I mean, he, he treated people decently and equally. And I think 71 is a really tough time. Um, you know, 71, is, there's so much violence, so much has happened. Um, the the early promise of the of the civil rights and and the changes of the sixties, um, you know, it's really really difficult that it it came to horrible things, um, you know, Manson and so much violence and and you know people reacted to that, um, you know, I don't think Wayne would have said that in nineteen sixty five. But in 1971, maybe he got, you know, he got pushed into feeling like there was just too much violence and, and just we weren't ready. Well, that, well, I don't know. Was the, the that, that could be definitely a, a time of great upheaval. Huge. Yeah, I see similar, uh, not not similar in, in, in content, but parallels in some of the comments being made. Because uh, obviously we're, in, we're recording this in the middle of uh, riots that are happening uh, across the country over uh, death of the man in Minneapolis. Uh, uh, George Floyd, I think, was the last name. It was George yes. Floyd, right? Floyd. Yes, that's correct, George Floyd. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that was it, but I also was, didn't want to say it if it wasn't because that would have been just as bad. Well, um, and also here in our own city, in our uh, own city uh, Breonna, Breonna Taylor killed yep. in a, in a no-knock police raid. On uh, the wrong house. On the wrong house, uh, yeah, you know it's, it's heartbreaking. She was an EMT, and yeah, but you see people who are when they see people rioting over this, which I understand the rioting. I don't condone it by far, but I also know that there's more to that rioting that's going on because there seem to be outside elements in, in a lot of these places that are making it worse. But those who condemn the rioting 
um, they're kind of missing the point. And to me, it's a similar kind of thing that is being said here that John Wayne was saying. Um, so it just shows, just goes to show you that even 40 years later, we are not as far along as we would like to think. Yeah, no, no don't we wish? Yeah, we certainly do wish that. But uh, and not to say that we don't have a lot. A lot hasn't changed, but it seems we have a tendency to backslide. All it takes is the wrong thing, the wrong way, and the wrong time. Just like these two incidents. And uh, the cities burn. No, um, it's more than just these two. I mean, you know, it's... These are just the obvious examples in the moment. Yeah. I mean, certainly the three of us can never really truly understand uh, what it's like to... Like, uh, I read a, a post on Facebook earlier, and this is really just a great example. I'm talking about a guy, it was a picture of him and his daughter and his, uh, walking his dog down their neighborhood. He's a black man. He said, I will never walk my neighborhood without my daughter and my dog, or my dog, because by myself I will be seen differently. Now, I would never even think twice about that for myself, because it, it truly is. There's and, an instance we cannot get past. We try, at least in law, we were able to do so, but there's a whole, I mean... But sometimes the law isn't all that, that fair and balanced either. Well, that's uh, correct. That's right. It, it tries to be blind. But uh, how do you overcome things like that? Where just by the... I don't know that you have a will. Well, I have the willingness to work for it. Uh, it's well, yes, uh, you have to work for it. That's right. Of because course, we, do, we all it do. Be, it would be immoral not to. But... Uh, it's hard not to... People always latch on to what is different as being bad and what is the same as being good. That's human nature, unfortunately. It's part of our flawed, fallen nature. You know, and to circle it back around to the Duke, in so many of the roles that he, uh, that he plays, I think he plays heroes, heroic characters, that try to, and to a large extent, do overcome our human flaws. Um, oh yes, because of, yes. Because of the time that he made those movies, maybe he's not dealing with racism as one of those flaws. But that because those kind of movies just weren't made when he was making movies. But that's the essence of being a hero: is you overcome your own flaws, and you are willing yeah. to sacrifice for the greater good. Yeah, even though it's, he personally maybe not was able to live the, live up to that, he at least on the screen gave us hope that it could be done. And I think that's yeah, why so many, uh, yeah. so many of his parts uh, were about defending those who couldn't defend others or defend themselves. Mm -hmm. um, yep. You know, a movie like Rio Bravo or a movie like El Dorado, he, he came to the side of the underdog and stood up against people who took advantage of their position. Mm -hmm and tried to stand for law and order and justice. And I think that would be a good example for us right now. Stand for decency, stand for, for those who can't defend themselves, take up for, for others uh, in the mold of the Duke, and understand that wanton violence, wanton destruction really doesn't help. It doesn't, it, it just puts you back to 1971. 
Well, and to be to be fair on some of the that wanton violence and destruction, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the reports, but uh, and maybe this is off topic, but you know a lot of that seems to have been instigated by outsiders. That's what that's at least Louisville what we're and Minneapolis and other places. Yeah. So yeah, that's people pushing an, an yeah. agenda. Well, uh, yeah. it goes back to that wonderful quote uh, uh, by Michael Caine uh, in the movie The Dark Knight. Some people, Mr. Wayne, just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's unfortunately what we're dealing with here. Uh, yeah. and because it's a shame, because those who have legitimate grievances and wish to express their outrage at this, because it is an outrageous thing that deserves to be called for what it is, injustice, uh, a, a wrong that has been committed, are themselves never having that message understood because of those who cloak it in violence. And now that becomes the yeah. narrative. Their, yeah. their very cause that they're trying to bring awareness to is subsumed and diluted and perhaps hijacked. Hijacked is a great word. Hijacked, I think, is a better, because yeah. that really puts That's blame what on things. Yeah, you know, you know Genuine, decent people in this town, you know, wanted to protest something that should not have happened, and then it's it's been hijacked into something indiscriminate that doesn't have anything to do with what needs to happen. You know, no knock warrants need some kind of a review in this town. Yeah. Um, How can that ever change? There's only a review in just about anywhere. I mean, yeah, that's a, yeah. yeah. How can that ever change if you can't even get to you can't even have a discussion about it because the narrative has been changed over to look at what these people are doing they're burning down their neighborhood no. and they're killing people shooting people but you know it might be that without something this drastic it won't change perhaps and, and, and that's, and that's, that's, a, that's to, a good argument yes and it's not to excuse or condone that sort of thing because I don't. Um, but I also recognize, and this is something that's been brought up a lot, and this is very true. It, to me, it points to the heart of those that don't understand versus those that do. And that yeah, is, these things still keep happening. Well, you haven't got to the quote yet. Um, when you are as upset about a target being looted as you are about a man being murdered, by having a you know a man a grown man kneel on his neck for nine minutes, mm -hmm. that's part of the problem. You're equating with you're equating destruction of property with loss of life. Those are never equal, never. That's because right. if they are, you worship a false god. Well said, sir. You're exactly right. So, anyways, I'd like mm -hmm. to think John Wayne's characters. Uh, especially the most heroic of them, would have been just as incensed and outraged over the injustices that are going, because that's the kind of stuff that his characters, again, not the exact same thing, because those kind of movies weren't being made, but in general, uh, I can't, I think almost anybody that's an aficionado of John Wayne, would, I don't think anybody would have any trouble seeing him on the right side of these events. I Correct. think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Uh, at least the characters he played that he was famous for, the legend of John Wayne, uh, which we, you know, we all recognize is, is always never completely true, uh, he, he would stand for justice. And uh, that, that was the time that he, that he made these movies. Justice was a very important theme. Uh, it didn't matter the genre. 
Uh, and there's a reason for that. Because when you're faced with injustice, you know, there's part of you that cries out for something uh, to make things right. Especially in an imperfect world. And it seems like, as I said, this stuff keeps happening over and over. It goes away, though we think, and uh, we all go about our happy lives until something else like this happens. And we wonder, well, wait a minute, I thought we fixed this. No, of course not. We just stop thinking about it. Maybe there's the great sin. Uh, it requires more. We're all of us. people and we all suck. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of a PJ or work take. It? It's too bad. Yeah, it's too bad humans are all human because they all suck pretty much. Well, that is, you know, part of the problem. Uh, I think it was maybe Chesterton who said that anyone who, who doubts uh, uh, original sin just needs to read the newspaper. Uh, now okay. we watch cable news. I was going to say, if he didn't say it, he should have, because it's damn accurate, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, it wasn't him. It was somebody around that time. Uh, yeah. You know, but uh, that's, why I, that's why somebody like a John Wayne is a great cultural touchstone to me, because of the, and yeah, we know not all of us, but the ones we remember him the most for, the ones we like him the best in, are the ones where, like like Martin said, he was there for the little guy against those who were taking advantage of those who could not protect themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think as Americans, that's part and parcel of what it means to be us um, because that it, it's a nature we have a, a, adopted, part of our identity. We're not great at it all the time, certainly. Right. But we always want to be that that person as a country that will fight for the little guy, fight for the underdog. You know, mm -hmm. it's why we tried to intervene in Somalia. It's why we sent uh, troops as part of the UN peacekeeping forces to Yugoslavia, uh, the former Yugoslavia. Uh, it's why we get involved in places where uh, perhaps nobody else is willing to be involved or uh, places where, well, heck, it's even part of why we went to Kuwait the first time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and took so many people with us, so many different countries. Uh, you know, it wasn't just about oil. Yes, it was partially about that because that would have been incredibly disruptive to the world economy. But, you know, we saw a tiny little country that could not defend itself that was quite important politically. And so we went and helped. Now, that you can argue that that started down a quagmire uh, that you know, we are yet to fully <laughs> get out of, but... That's yeah. an entirely different thing. Well, you know, as Trevor Slack it's complicated. It's complicated. Yes. Complicated, yeah. It's all complicated. That, that should be our unofficial sub-title sub to this. That's right. <laughs> That's great. Because hey, Trevor, hey, Trevor hey, appears in just about every episode. Just about every <laughs> episode drops by. Because everything's uh, complicated. That's exactly it right. Is. Well, and, and I think that we, we always, we joke, but really we need to realize that because one of the things, one of the great sins, I think, in, in American society or any society is we try to oversimplify things that, in order to get our arms around it, but we do a disservice to the issue by doing that. We need to try well, to expand our minds and not try to reduce the facts. It is the problem of mass media, especially in the days of the Internet, you know, it used to be they talked about a 30-second soundbite. 30 seconds is an eternity now. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, five. It's a five-second soundbite. Yeah. yeah. And, like you know, dumbing things down, going into the, the 
reducing things to the, the com most least common denominator uh, is what does a disservice to all of this. Uh, right. Because you can't take a complex issue and explain it in five seconds, or even come up with a proposal. Uh, much less that, you know. If you can't, if I, if you can't explain the problem in five seconds, you sure as hell can't come up with a solution in five. Yeah. Amen. Francis, brother, I think we we covered the Duke. I think and then so. some. <laughs> and then some. Yeah, we. Uh, uh, so what's up for next week, brother? Well, I, in many respects, it's going to be kind of a continuation of this because it's very similar. We're going to do pop culture next time, but we're going to talk about the Western as a general rule, the Western as an art form. You know, we've talked about John Wayne's contributions to it, but he, he was himself his own thing. We're going to talk, broaden our discussion in many ways to talk about this is something that's uniquely American. Uh, it's an amazing piece that we've given to the world, and we're going to go a little bit deep with exactly why is it cool. What is it about that that is, is worth talking about? So please join us. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.